Uh, Open up your Bible to Isaiah chapter 39. I have to confess that I have a weakness for Twinkies. Like the old school kind, the kind that you enjoyed when you were a kid. Many of you thought maybe they stopped making those, uh, but they're still making them and they're still just as delicious as you remember. And I have a weakness for them. The problem is that my kids have a weakness for them too. And so they uh, always want one. And, and so I do what any good father would do. I say, no, they're my Twinkies. And then I hide them throughout our house. You have to uh, move the, the hiding spot pretty consistently because the kids are investigators and they find them. And so I keep them from them. Every once in a while, they'll come. This happened just a couple of days ago. They'll sit next to me on the couch or wherever I am. And uh, they'll look at me with those puppy dog eyes and say, Daddy, can I have one of your Twinkies? And I am almost moved to give them one. But I always say, no, no, thank you. I love you so much. But no, you can't have one of my Twinkies. And they walk away hurt, you know. Um, that's a minor example of selfishness, uh, but all of us know what it's like to be hurt by major examples of selfishness, selfishness in a parent, selfishness in a spouse, selfishness in a dating partner, selfishness in a boss, And where there is selfishness, big or small, there are people who are going to be hurt. Isaiah chapter 39 is about one of Judah's kings. Hezekiah. And you see in your listening guide that you received on your way in that Hezekiah was a righteous king. But in his final chapter, his selfishness hurt many people in Israel. Lived a great life, did a lot of great things. But at the end, his selfishness hurt many people. Hezekiah became the king at 25 years old. And like I said, he was a good king. He did a lot of great things. At the time that he inherited the kingdom of Judah, uh, they were worshiping all kinds of idols instead of the one true God. They would worship a God of fertility when they wanted to get pregnant. They would worship a God of the harvest when they were planting their crops and reaping their crops. So they would find these idols and they would build statues to them. And when Hezekiah became king, he went around Judah and he tore down those statues to remind the people there is one God and we will serve him. Assyria was the world empire at the time. And the king of Assyria came to Hezekiah and essentially wanted to make him a part of the Assyrian empire. And so Hezekiah, in order to hold that off, decided that he would pay the king of Assyria a tribute, a tax. So you can imagine sending a tax from Judah back to Assyria consistently. In fact, Hezekiah went throughout his kingdom looking for gold and silver to send to this king. A little while later, the Assyrian king realized that a tax wasn't good enough for him, that he really did want Judah to be a full participating partner under the authority of Assyria. And so he brought his army to surround Jerusalem. Hezekiah didn't know what to do. So he called Isaiah the prophet to see if God might have a word for King Hezekiah. And and God did. And more than a word, he had a remedy. So you can imagine going to sleep at night, You're surrounded by the Assyrian army. When you wake up in the morning, the army is gone. That's exactly what happened because an angel came through and killed 150,000 soldiers in a moment. God saved Hezekiah. But God wasn't uh, wasn't done saving Hezekiah because he got sick. In fact, he was gonna die. And he begged God for mercy. He begged God for his life and God said, okay, And gave him additional years. But in those additional years. Hezekiah made some bad decisions. The surrounding nations. Heard about Hezekiah's miraculous recovery. And so. 
one of those nations, Babylon, sent some ambassadors to visit Hezekiah. Second Chronicles chapter 32 also tells the story of Hezekiah. And it says in there, and you see this in your listening guide, after God healed Hezekiah, it says in verse 31, and God left him to himself in order to test him and to know all that was in his heart. God left him to himself to test him and to know all that was in his heart. And what I want to suggest to you tonight is that being left to ourselves is always a bad thing. Isaiah chapter 39, verse 1. At that time, Merodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah. For he heard that he had been sick and had recovered. And Hezekiah welcomed them gladly, and, they, and he showed them his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his whole armory, all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say? And from where did they come to you? Hezekiah said, They have come to me from a far country, from Babylon. And he said, What have they seen in your house? Hezekiah answered, They have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then said Hezekiah to Isaiah, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought there will be peace and security in my days. In Hezekiah's final chapter, after having lived a righteous life and being a good king, he was sabotaged by self. There are three things, three signs that you and I are also being sabotaged by self. You see those in your listening guide. These are what I want you to remember when you leave. Number one, we know we're being sabotaged by self when stories of God's faithfulness are pushed to the background and self moves front and center. Stories of God's faithfulness moves to the background And self moves front and center. Babylon will later on become a great empire. But at this moment, they're just another nation under the thumb of Assyria. But the king of Babylon doesn't want to be under the thumb of Assyria any longer. He has grander visions for his kingdom. And so he's looking for a partner in rebellion. That's why he sends these ambassadors to Hezekiah. Hezekiah has just had a miracle done from him. He, he, for him, he was almost dead and now he's alive. He's recovered. And so the king of Babylon wonders if Hezekiah maybe has a new lease on life, has a fresh vision for his kingdom and would like to rebel against Assyria with the Babylonians. So the only reason these ambassadors have come is because they heard that Hezekiah had been ill And he had miraculously recovered. But look how Hezekiah speaks to the ambassadors about the ambassadors. And Hezekiah welcomed them gladly. And he showed them his treasure house. The silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his whole armory. All that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. In verse 4, they have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them. 
These ambassadors have come to visit him because God did a miracle. And yet there is no trace, no mention of God here at all. It's only about what belongs to Hezekiah. My storehouses, my palace, his armory, his realm. Because what I want to suggest to you is that when we are being sabotaged by self, over time, God's faithfulness is erased from our stories and all that we're left with is self's success. I've told you my spiritual story before. When I was a teenager, God almost instantaneously snatched me out of apathy. If you were a teenager, obviously you were at some point. If you have a teenager, you, you, may, you maybe can imagine a teenager being in their home and not actively rebelling against their parents, but at the same time, having no heart, no love for mom or dad, brother or sister, really just living with the family, but not much of a relationship, very little caring going on from the teenager to the rest of the family. That essentially was a description of my relationship with God. I was not actively rebelling against God in the sense of doing my best to break his commandments, but just stuck in apathy. And almost in an instant, God rescued me from that and changed my life forever. A few years after that happened, when I was in college, I was asked to share my spiritual story with a room filled with teenagers, probably those parents and youth leaders hoping that my story would encourage them, that God could do the same thing in their lives. But if they recorded that story that day, and I hope that they didn't, what you would hear is very little about what God did in my life and a lot about what I did in my life. Very little about God's grace in rescuing me miraculously from that apathy and a lot about how committed I was to reading my Bible how committed I was to making good decisions at school and among my friends, how committed I was to prayer, how committed I was to sharing my faith. Because over time, God's power and God's faithfulness was just slowly erased from my story and what was left, self. Same thing happened to Samson. Remember, he was one of the strongest men that that, that probably has ever lived. God chose him from his birth to be a protector for God's people, Israel. And God gave him some guidelines with the strength I want to make sure that you never cut your hair. And with the strength, I want to make sure that you never eat this kinds of food. Well, over time, Samson began to equate his great strength, not with God, but with his hair. It was his hair that gave him that strength. He erased God from his story. That's why when you read Samson's story, he rarely defends God's people, if at all. He uses his strength for his own petty revenge and grievances against other people. If, you've, if, if it's been a while since God kind of saved you from darkness and maybe you've been a part of the church for a while, you maybe have experienced this where it becomes harder and harder to remember all of the miracles that God has done for us. And so really being a Christian just is about all the things that I do for myself. That's why Christians are so judgmental because we think, well, I'm holding myself together. I don't understand why you can't hold yourself together and make better decisions. Slowly just erasing God's faithfulness, pushed to the background so self can come and take center stage. It's a sign that we're being sabotaged by self. Number two, we know we're being sabotaged by self when self takes more credit than we deserve.
Verse two, and Hezekiah welcomed them gladly and he showed them his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his whole armory and all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. And then skip down to verse six. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried off to Babylon. So when the ambassadors from Babylon come, Hezekiah says, look at everything that's mine, my armory, my palace, my storehouses. But when Isaiah confronts him, Isaiah gently and very subtly points out your father's storehouses. See, Hezekiah was not a self-made man. This is not a rags to riches story. This is a riches to riches story. The only reason that he is king is because he was the firstborn son of his father, who also happened to be the king, who was the firstborn son of his father, who happened to be the king, who was the firstborn son of his father, who happened to be a king. Hezekiah didn't have to apply for this kingly role. He didn't have to audition. He didn't have to come back for callbacks. He was born into this. So everything that Hezekiah has really was a gift of someone else's hard work that he received. And maybe he did help the kingdom grow. Maybe he did add wealth. But to give these ambassadors from Babylon the impression that somehow all of this was his responsibility and to his credit was, well, it was just a lie. He was being sabotaged by self. And so he took more credit than he deserves. Now I'm not judging Hezekiah today. I mean, I am, but I shouldn't be because all of us know how important it feels to feel important. I mean, these, these Babylonians come and, and they say to Hezekiah, we've heard about you. Has anyone ever said that to you? Hey, we've heard about you. We've heard what you have been doing. We heard what you did. We heard about your success. It feels good. About a year ago, I got a phone call from a Christian organization that uh, resources churches all over the world. It's a well-known organization. I've used their things before and They called and they literally said, hey, we've heard about you. We've heard about how well things are going at your church and all of that. And there's a small group of pastors from around the nation uh, that gather together a couple of times a year and they discuss church issues. And and we learn from one another. It's a very small group. And uh, we want to know if you'd be a part of it. Now, better pastors would say, well, you know, let me go and seek the Lord. Let me go into my prayer closet and just ask the Lord. I was like, of course, I want to be a part of this. So I said, well, what's the next step? They said, well, we're going to send you some information. It's just basic stuff. Uh, send it back along with your check. Oh, so, so this, is, this is not an honor. This is a sales call. You heard about me because I'm on some database somewhere that you paid a subscription for. We all know what it's like to at least even for a moment feel important. And Hezekiah has these Babylonian ambassadors coming and knocking on his door saying, we've heard about you. Of course, he's going to show off. Of course, he's gonna show them around his kingdom. Of course, he's gonna make it sound like all of this is to his credit, but it wasn't. He was being sabotaged by self. And even more dangerous in Hezekiah's story is not that he stole credit from his father and grandfather and the other kings who came before. He stole credit from God. 
Because remember, it's God who miraculously healed him. Hezekiah didn't want to die. You can go back and read that story in 2 Chronicles chapter 30, 31, 32. He begged God to not die. And God said, okay, and saved his life. But when the ambassadors come, you almost get the sense that Hezekiah is taking credit even for his recovery. There is no mention of God. And it's a dangerous thing to steal credit from God. Isaiah chapter 42, just a few pages from where we are in chapter 39. God says, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other. God does not share credit, at least not long term. So if you and I are taking credit for things that God has done in our life, that credit is going to come due at some point. He is the Lord, that, it is, that is his name. He will not share his glory with anyone else. Social scientists have done research to prove something that's probably always been true about humanity. When success happens to us, we give credit to internal forces. But when failure happens to us, we blame external forces. So if you get a promotion at work, more than likely, you're going to give credit to yourself. You've worked really hard. You've put in time. You uh, added some new skills. Uh, and uh, you would say, I, I deserve this promotion. But if for some reason you get passed over for that promotion or you lose your job, you're more than likely, statistically speaking, to blame something or someone else. Right? The reason I didn't get that promotion is because my boss never has my back. I don't know why, but they've never liked me. They didn't speak up for me. Uh, they could have, and, and they didn't. Or this whole work situation I'm in, it's all political, and I'm not going to play that politics game. Right? It's always somebody else's fault. And we do that with God. When good things happen to us, we give credit to ourselves. When bad things happen to us, we say, God, where were you at? Why, why, did, you, why did you let this happen to me? When I was 25, I applied for a job, a job that I really want, wanted at the time, and, uh, and I didn't get it. And for months afterwards, I wrestled with God, just being disappointed in him, feeling like he had not come through for me, feeling like he had misled me, feeling like uh, I deserved it, and I had credit in my spiritual bank, and I wanted to make a withdrawal, and uh, the money was there, but for some reason, he denied the transaction. That's the way I felt, and that's terrible theology, but that's the way I felt at the time. I was really disappointed with him. You know, not one time when I was on the phone with the, the person who called me to give me the news that I didn't get the job, not one time did I ever think about asking him, hey, I'm I'm 25. I'm hopefully going to interview for a lot of jobs in my lifetime. Do you have any advice for me? Was there a skill that you were looking for, for this role that you didn't think that I had? Because I'd like to add that skill to my professional life. Um, did I come across in a way that was off-putting? Uh, can you give me any advice? Because I want to do better next time if I can. I didn't think about doing that not one millisecond. You know why? Because in my mind, it wasn't my fault that I didn't get that job. It was God's fault. He prevented it. He didn't give it to me. Because when we succeed, it's to our credit. And when we fail, it's not our fault. It's God's fault. The best way to know that you are taking credit for things that God has done is how quickly you blame him when things don't go well, because the person who blames him quickly is the same person who's taking credit from him. 
It's the same heart. He is the Lord. That is his name. He does not share glory, at least not long term. We know we're being sabotaged by self when self starts taking credit for things that are not to our credit. And finally, number three, self's interests supersede the interests of others. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father shall be taken away and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. So because of Hezekiah's selfishness, because of his proud heart, Second Chronicles 32 says, Isaiah is essentially bringing judgment to him because he took credit for things that belong to God. Uh, he took credit for things that belong to some other people. Judgment is coming. Uh, eventually, all his treasure is going to be taken and even his descendants are going to be taken away. And if you're a king, there are really two things that are the most important to you, treasure and descendants. You can't be a king without great wealth and you can't be a king without handing off your line to someone else. And God says, I'm taking all of that away from your family. But look how Hezekiah responds, verse eight. Then said Hezekiah to Isaiah, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought there will be peace and security in my days. Hezekiah's response, whew, what a relief. It's gonna happen to my kids and my grandkids, but not to me. sabotaged by self, this righteous man who had lived a righteous life, who had been a righteous king at the end says, well, I'm glad judgment is happening to somebody else, even though they are related to me, even though it is my fault. It's just not happening to, happening to me. See, our experience when we're being sabotaged by self blinds us to other people's experience. Our perspective when self is in control is the most important perspective. And we see this when we are discussing major events in the United States. When self is in control, your opinion counts more, is more valid than someone else's opinion. Their fault in their thinking. They're not seeing the whole thing. Of course, you are seeing the whole thing. You have perfect perspective. When self is in control, our experience blinds us to the experience of someone else because self's interests are superseding the interests of others. But the apostle Paul spoke definitively about this in Philippians chapter two, verse three, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is in yours in Christ Jesus. So Jesus is our perfect example of counting others more significant than ourselves. Who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus was so committed to putting your interest ahead of his own interest that he left heaven and was born God and man. 
He put your interest ahead of his own interest when he said, I'm not going to be a king here. I'm going to be a servant. He put your interest ahead of his own interest when he said, I'm going to be a servant all the way to death. He put your interest ahead of his own interest when he said, even if that death is torture on a cross. He is our model of what it means to look out for somebody else's interest. And then he gave us a gift because that's impossible. Day in and day out, it is impossible to look out for other people's interests ahead of our own. Self never wants to be a servant. It will resist service at every turn. So Jesus gave us the gift of his spirit, the spirit of God who lives inside of us, who becomes our guide. When self walks into the room, self says, how can I get everyone in here to serve me? When guided by the spirit, we walk in and say, how can I serve other people in this room? Self says, what about me? The spirit says, what about others? Self says, how can I get mine? The spirit leading us says, how can I help others get theirs? It's a scary thing to turn from self because most of us only have self as our advocate. Looking out for us, speaking up for us. And if self isn't our advocate, who will be in this world? My boss isn't going to be my advocate. My friends turn their back on me. I can't totally trust them. I don't have anybody to be my advocate. That's why I got to look out for myself. But as followers of Jesus, we need to stop trusting our gut, stop trusting our instincts. And remember what Jesus called the spirit of God, the advocate. You do have someone looking out for you in this world. And so what you can know as you are being led by the spirit, he is looking out for your long-term interests while you are looking out for other people's interests. Are you being sabotaged by self? You know, so what's interesting is the Assyrian king came to Hezekiah as an enemy. He came with an army. And Hezekiah recognized it. The Babylonian king came as a friend. He came with a gift. Self is subtle. Slippery. Almost unnoticeable sometimes. But we have to turn from self. And turn to God. Let's pray.